This is the Preach Extends podcast back after a lengthy layoff. And on this episode, I'm again joined by Jordan Rosenblum as we discuss some pretty ridiculous philosophical viewpoints. This conversation spans the asymmetry or symmetry between good and bad and in regard to whether or not living is good or bad. Uh, That's a pretty vague description, but I guess that's what the episode's for. So yeah, we talk about whether or not life is good or bad, whether existence is quote-unquote worth it, and uh, we talk about other things like the meaning of the word selfish and suffering and a lot of, I guess, existential topics here. Um, This podcast was actually mostly inspired by an episode of the Waking Up podcast with Sam Harris. Uh, He had this guest, David Benatar, who either calls himself or I guess maybe even coined the term anti-natalist. It sort of means... Well, we'll get into that, but we do mention him a lot here, so that's uh, that's who we're talking about initially, if it's at all confusing. But yeah, this, there's a lot of discussion about Sam Harris and David Benatar, and then plenty of our own possibly rational viewpoints in there, too. Did you want me to uh, do the... Uh, when Should I read the quote? I could read the quote. Yeah, read the quote. Okay, so this is from an interview with somebody... And they ask him to, uh, the title of his new book is The Human Predicament. Describe the predicament in a nutshell. So here, here's, the, here's the predicament. Um, you are ready for the predicament. I'm so ready. You are sitting down or standing up or one of the, one of the three options that humans have in terms of... Uh, no, there are so many more options than that, but let's not get into that. Just name a couple more of the... Uh, laying down, uh, on your knees. Uh, okay, yeah, there's, there's, okay, I, I can go on for a while. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fair. I think there's only four now. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I just forgot on your knees. That's, that's understandable. Yeah, classic mistake. Okay. Life is hard. We have to struggle, often unsuccessfully, to keep unpleasantness at bay. It would be easier to make sense of this if life serves some important purpose. Yet, while we can create some meaning, our lives lack any ultimate purpose. Death can relieve our suffering, but it cannot solve our problem of meaninglessness. Moreover, because death is annihilation, it is part of our misfortune, even when, all things considered, it is the lesser of two evils. Um, in other words, our predicament is that life is bad, but that death is too, is also bad. Okay, and then the interviewer asks, um, as, how did you become interested in this topic, and how does it connect with your previous book, Better Never to Have Been, which is basically arguing that it's better never to have been born. <laughs> that old argument. Apprehending our predicament commands one's interests to beware of the suffering pointlessness of it all and the grotesque finale seems unavoidably interesting or at least it is to me although there is no way to escape the human predicament once one is in it there is a way in which it can be avoided namely do you have any idea yeah he's talking about not never having been born yeah pretty much (laughs) that so i won't read the rest of that sentence because you pretty much said it um of course it's too late for us who exists shit But because procreation involves replicating the predicament, the latter can be avoided by desisting from the former, that is, procreating. That's why it is better never to be, or to have been. The end. So, uh, I guess, I guess it's open and shut case then. Well, the, this, yeah, in the podcast that he does with Sam Harris, it's really frustrating because... He has almost no opinion or really clear perspective on what to do for the people who are actually already alive. Like he's insistent that yeah. death is bad, but he doesn't really have anything else for the living. It's kind of just like, well, we're we're let's make the best of it because we're already here, which is, I guess, sort of a fine disposition to have, but it's it's a little discouraging. Like he, okay, well, there are two major components of his argument. And, the, and I think I probably disagree with one, and I definitely disagree with the other. So the, yeah. the definite disagreement, it's sort of like a mathematical argument, 
But basically, when you talk about a good life versus a bad life, I think most people default to, or at least I defaulted to, like good life is one, bad life is negative one, non-existence is zero, like that scale. Like no existence at all is just neutral. And yeah, most people definitely rank their life on a binary one zero, or I guess not binary, trinary. <laughs> no, no, no that I think. Or, yeah, no, trinary. Yeah, I was just maybe not so explicitly, but okay, yeah. No, I think I a, a scale of bad to good is even if you're not thinking about it in terms of numbers, it's implicitly it's either bad, it's neutral, or it's good. It's the scale of of crappy to awesome. It's kind of like yeah. it doesn't need numbers but you're kind of implying that there's a negative and a positive and a zero yeah what is what are you today by the way let's uh say on, on three on three let's say what we are today okay one two three point, point one. four wow you're not doing that what? great today it's early in the day for me i'm i haven't i've i'm only doing this so far and this is pretty great i haven't had any bad things yet zero point four you said yeah oh that's pretty good yeah i mean, I mean sure one's not that bad man no it's on the positive side I'm just a little caffeinated. I'm a little, just a little. Uh, yeah, that no yeah, that noise means something to me. <laughs> so, I think it makes sense to think about it that way. As in, like the most suffering you can have is negative one, and the greatest thing that you can experience is positive one. And to just be like asleep essentially is zero. Like not like before your day starts, when you rank at anything other than zero, you haven't done anything yet. No. Yeah, it would it would be a zero. So I think that's that's how Sam Harris is trying to explain it in his mind. But David Benatar is nowhere close to putting it in those terms because he thinks of non-existence as the zero. You can only go from zero to essentially negative one. He almost discounts all of good things. So it's basically he he thinks there's an asymmetry between existing and non-existing. Well, I guess the first part of the argument is. If there's an absence of a good life, let's say someone could have been born but wasn't and there's no good life that could have been had, no one is missing out on that. There's no one who's like, oh, damn, that that good life, it didn't happen. And he talks about it in terms of like another planet because I guess it becomes too close for people to think about it in terms of like a, a child that they would have had. It's like, I missed out on yeah. having that kid that would have had a good life. So he's saying, what if there was another planet in some distant galaxy or even like Mars where there could have been life on Mars, but no one is going around being like, oh man, it really sucks. There's no life on Mars right now. Like I'm really yeah. missing out on all those good lives that like all that good consciousness that could have been happening on Mars. Yeah, there isn't like a social movement to like uh, promote the lives that, lives that could have been on Mars somehow i guess there is not at least that either of us are aware of so his yeah, point holds true there um <laughs> but if, if there was a ton of suffering on mars if it was like everyone was dying in a fire on mars there were like all these people that lived there and it was terrible then there would be a lot of people being like wow it's really it's really bad that that's happening so we maybe could be happy that there's no suffering on mars right now like maybe it's sort of a yeah. conscious thought for some people that I'm really glad there's not a planet out there where everyone is just having these terrible lives all the time. Yeah, I think you just moved me from like a point one to a point two just with the, that news. Do so um, you agree that... with him then? What? <laughs> well, yeah, see, it affected you to know that there's no harmful things happening to these fake people, but it doesn't affect you to, to know that there's no good things happening for these fake people. Yeah, don't give a fuck about that. Right. So I think that that's just sort of a flaw in human thinking and it's not evidence of some sort of truth that existence is like asymmetrical. We just don't think about the non-existence of good things, but we do think about the non-existence of bad things. I think that's just the way people's minds work. But he's he's yeah. making a leap from that to try to argue that non-existence is then the obvious answer because we care more about non-harm than non-good. Yeah, it does seem like a norm, if anything, not like a like a universal truth or something. It just does seem like kind of how we think about it. Yeah, it, it's a weird thing that people do is they take like a generalization that human beings tend to make and they use it to apply to some scientific value 
but the human mind is flawed. I mean, we don't think about things perfectly. So you can't just say, because people think about this in this way, that must, it, that must mean that this other thing that's way above that is true. I don't think you can derive truth from human errors in thinking. Yeah, it's not a strong argument. It's a really weak assumption that the argument is lying on. So there's this asymmetry. So him and Sam Harris go back and forth a lot in this podcast, and Sam Harris just keeps getting caught up on how illogical this is. And like there is there is no conclusion between them. It's just like it's almost yeah. the point we're making, and that there's a counter argument for it, but the counter argument just it doesn't hold any water. It's kind of just like you can say that good and bad are asymmetrical, but why? It, it, they're, they're, you can't really explain it properly. It's just sort of continuing to be derived from this error in human thinking. So that's his strongest argument, but I just don't think it makes any sense. There was one other summary I saw that I could read kind of presented his argument formally, and it still didn't make that much sense. But but I, I think um, it might be interesting to look at and to hear what you have to say. Yes, I will hear that. Oh, nice, man. That's good. Do you wanted to hear what I have to say about you maybe reading this thing, or you want to hear what I have to say about the yeah. thing? That was enough for me to continue on, on this quest. Oh, great. Benatar argues that being brought into existence is not a benefit, but always a harm. While most people maintain that living is beneficial as long as the benefits of life outweigh the evil, Benatar argues that this conclusion does not follow because, one, pain is bad, and two, pleasure is good. But three, the absence of pain is always good, whether people exist or not. Whereas four, the absence of pleasure is only bad if people exist to be denied it. Um, so it's just like a more formal way of how you put it. And then he, he includes uh, this reviewer uh, from Reason and Meaning, a blog, a philosophy blog, uh, talks about how Benatar supports the arguments, how the absence of pain is always good, but the absence of pleasure doesn't actually matter unless well, people hold are on alive. before you get to the rest of it I think I yeah. think I get what he's saying between three and four the absence of pain is felt by everyone but the absence of good he's literally implying a scenario where no one exists and in a scenario where there are have never been any people ever then there is no one to be harmed by the lack of those good lives because there are no people at all but that's still well, that that that's well, not really a well, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, if we all died, in, if we died in a nuclear war tomorrow, like I think that the absence of all, the pleasure of, of any future huge human generations would be a bummer. I think it would, yeah, but would be there would be no one here for the bummer. No, but I still think the absence of pleasure would be a negative thing. The well, absence you're of talking about pleasure. a you 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 can um. I don't think you should make the leap from no one ever having existed to current existing people getting wiped out. It's two different things. It, it's kind of similar, but he's literally no, talking no, about guess, where no one had ever existed in the history of humanity. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's a weird one. My, mine's a little different just because it's it's not everyone now getting wiped out that's alive because that involves death and killing, which is bad, even Benatar thinks. But like our kids wouldn't be born either. And I think it's sad because of the future generations too, that there would be no, none of that pleasure that, that would have otherwise been because there's a lot of like goodness in life that we'd be missing out on if we blew ourselves up. So I'm, I'm with you there. I think that's, that's more in line with the second component of his argument though. The first one is literally just, it has nothing to do with whether or not life itself is good or bad, whether happiness is outweighed by suffering, that sort of thing. If, being alive is inherently good or bad. That That's not, it, he hasn't gotten there yet. It's more just this point is, it's just this simple fact that if no one had ever existed, no one would miss out on that because no one would be here to, to see it. And uh, if some people are not suffering, then there are people here to be happy about that. So it, like, it's, it's a very strange way of putting things. I think I see what he's saying, but I don't think it checks out. Like I, the point is valid if you apply it to the full existence of all of humanity. But I don't think it then translates to like you shouldn't have a kid because 
no one will miss out on that kid never having been born because it's not true. Like there, there is a potential human there that people might have known. And there are actually tangible people in the world who won't have the benefit of knowing that person. Yeah. 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 It just, it it doesn't translate all the way. Yeah. I think, I think I agree. The, The one point is weaker than the other. So the example he gives, um, that it's a decent analogy, but he's saying there are two people and he, he names them healthy and sick. I don't think this is his thought experiment, but he, he gets it from somewhere and the kids, the, the people's names, one is healthy and one is sick. And he's saying that, yeah, if those are your names, then, then it probably isn't better. It's better off to be dead because like, that's just a, this is an uncreative choice. Actually, it's a two, it's a two creative choice. Yeah. I think they're very creative names. So sick, (laughs) um, sick gets sick all the time. But sick has an incredible ability to recover. So sick, whenever he gets sick, just recovers really, really fast and is just fine. But healthy can't do that at all. But healthy literally never gets sick. Healthy can't get sick. So what he's saying is there's no value for healthy to have this power of recovery because it's it's useless. Healthy doesn't get sick. Mm-hmm. Healthy doesn't need to be able to recover from sickness because that circumstance is never there. Yeah, okay, yeah. And what follows from this? So it's kind of like if there is no existence to begin with, then the equation just kind of becomes irrelevant. It's kind of like we don't have to talk about recovering from sickness if there are no people. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the best analogy, but that's the way he kind of thinks about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you just went from like a healthy person and a sick person to that. The analogy is those two to existence of the universe and non-existence of the universe. So it's, it seems, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot that is uh, dissimilarities between those two. Right. But I think eventually what he, ultimately what he's getting at is there's no need for, for good lives if there are no people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But even that, even that, I, I don't know. It's, it's the thing, the thing of us never having even been like as a whole race is, almost too metaphysical to be even interesting or, or to even say anything it's too solid about it because it's just so, it's just, there's no humans to even discuss this at any point and they've just never existed. And I don't know what there is instead or if there's any universe at all instead. It's, it, I don't know. It, it's, it seems a little bit too distant to even think about. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's really relevant to anything. Even if yeah. you grant him that one small point that, well, okay, I think you you can't fully entangle or disentangle this problem from whether a life itself is actually good or bad inherently, because you were you were make, you were going on to the point where consciousness is a good thing and there's potential, and if someone doesn't exist, then we're missing out on all of the good things that could have happened in their lives. So I think that's the more interesting point, and he actually doesn't have much of a stance on it. But I, yeah, I mean, he just thinks he just thinks that that for most people, there's more like, or or maybe even for all people, for all people, that, that there's for the equation of 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 pain and pleasure, which is a weird way to think of it because life isn't a a, a mathematical equation of pain and pleasure. It's like a Bentham sort of Benthamite way to think of it, but um. Yeah, he thinks for everyone the pain outweighs the pleasure, and and it doesn't really well, matter. Well, no, 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 it's not that. It's it's not like a you get one point for pleasure and negative one point for pain kind of thing, and there's more negatives than positives. He's at, he's nowhere close to going there. It's it's literally just this equation of non-existence compared to existence. So th- there is no leap because Sam Harris keeps trying to get Benatar to make this leap to apply to the suffering and the happiness of people's lives. And he doesn't do that. I think, um, the term for that, where it's like a pro mortalist viewpoint, which is the people who kind of think suicide is just ultimately the right answer because there's just more bad things than good things in life. That's the second component. And I think there is something to talk about there, but it, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily true or necessarily wrong. I just think there actually is something to talk about there. People view, I think people generally view life in that way. Like I'll, I'll have good experiences, I'll have bad experiences. Hopefully the good outweigh the bad. That's a very common thing to say. 
but there's no reason why a good experience should have equal weight to a bad experience. Why not? Well, our scale could be, I guess, if you have an hour of a really good thing and an hour of a really bad thing, I just, I'm not, I'm not getting to the point where those are literally the same value. Like, is, is, do you need eight hours of good things to happen to make up for 30 minutes of suffering sort of thing? Like, why would the scale be exactly even one way or the other? Yeah, of course not. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, that's like way too mathematical of a way to, to, to consider one's life. And, and people can get enough meaning to be like satisfied and feel that their existence is worth it. Even if only 15% of it or 5% of it is awesome. And, and, and like 20% is suffering, it still can be the 15% of like time spent could be worth much more to them in whatever utility or something in whatever like unit is used for this. But we know that people aren't the best judges of their own experiences. Like people compartmentalize, people kind of forget things, selective memory, that sort of stuff. So we can't really trust people to explain over the course of a day, I had a good day or a bad day today and be right about it. Like, I don't even think there's an objective reality there. Um, I don't know. I, I think Benatar relies heavily on that sort of bias that people are too optimistic in uh, interpreting their own the, interpreting their own life, I guess. They're too glass half full. But... That that's like a cognitive bias that does definitely does apply to some things, but to to extrapolate that out to the whole existence to people's ability to tell whether or not they are like glad to be alive, it, it doesn't seem valid to me. No, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that everyone's too optimistic. Yeah, I think we can kind of put Benatar aside here because I don't really care about his second argument that much, and he actually says at one point that he's not sure how bad of a thing death is. Like he's saying. I think death is really bad, but I'm not sure. This it's it's the weaker stance. He doesn't take that strong of a stance on this on this position. So it's yeah. I think that some people are overly optimistic and some people are overly pessimistic. Just in general, people don't have a perfect understanding of their experience in the world. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, but one doesn't need a perfect understanding of their experience to evaluate accurately enough whether they are like they want to be alive. I guess. But the the problem with placing value on staying alive essentially cuz it's the it's the pro mortalist position so Benatar's anti-natalism which is you sh it's better to not exist but he's not pro mortalist which is it's better to to die. That's what yeah. those people think. Like they're pro suicide yeah. essentially. Yeah, death is bad too. But the the question that you could ask yourself is my life good enough that I shouldn't end it every day? Let's say you ask yourself, if you're some kind of psychopath and you ask yourself every morning when you work, you woke up, let, let's put it's aside mental illness. Jobs. I feel like I'm, I'm stigmatizing something that I shouldn't be, but like <laughs> a normal person just every day was like trying to it's mathematically. Like Steve, Steve, Jobs, Steve Jobs does that. He's like in his like most viewed commencement speech of all time. He's like, if I, I go to the mirror every day and I ask myself, if I'm happy with my life, and I know that if I say no too too many days in a row, I have to change something, and that's like the end of the quote. But perhaps what he meant was that he had to kill himself. So, <laughs> okay, so if we if we assume that Steve Jobs meant that they if the answer is no, then he has to die, then I think we do have a <laughs> tangible example of someone doing this. Okay, so yeah, if um yeah, if that's the question you ask yourself every day. If you're trying to mathematically figure out if the answer is yes or no to the should I kill myself question in that sense every day, then you're probably not going to be able to perfectly figure out if the answer is yes or no because you're just not the best judge of what's going on. There's all of these – there are all these biases in terms of the impact that you staying alive and dying would have on other people and you're thinking about if I kill myself, my, the ones closest to me are going to be affected by that. Um, if I continue to live, there are all these human relationships that are relevant. It's, it can't really be separated fully from other human interaction. Like there's no way to put your own self in a vacuum and say, is my life worth continuing or not 
outside of how it impacts the rest of the world because that's just that situation doesn't exist are you also trying to make the next step and say that like people can't accurately decide whether or not they should kill themselves no i'm not i'm not going quite that far i think what i'm saying is if we're trying to create a balance where we have does suffering outweigh happiness? Our because even if we determine that suffering outweighs happiness, I don't I don't think that means that everyone just has to kill themselves. Then that's I'm not making that leap, but yeah, I'm I am saying that I don't think people are good at or even capable of determining if their suffering or happiness is the one that's winning out because we don't know how much value to give to each of those things. There's no right answer to a suffering is a negative one and a and a pleasurable experience is a positive one. There's just no and it's not like one is negative one and the other one's positive three. We don't have anything like that. There's, and it would be insane to try to put numbers on that. It would be insane. It's insane to even talk about it. I, mean, I don't know if it's insane subjective. to talk about it. We have to talk about it. It's a, it is a little insane. It's a very bit. subjective. It's not like insane like you need to be put in a place with soft walls where you won't hurt yourself insane. It's just like a little bit insane. But – um. What kind of place is that? It's like the trampoline, those trampoline places where you adults go for play. What? That's where, that's where insane like adults a, go. Like a bounce house? Yeah, that's what I, I mean, that's, that's more or less what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like a bounce house. Um, but, but it's, it's, it's a subjective, almost spiritual question to assign like a worth to yourself. I really don't, I really reject like this sort of like calculus of, trying to even assign any sort of unit or measurement to like the good and the bad. I, I think that if, if the suffering and life is too unpleasant and the evidence is very, very overwhelming, then one might, if one has that sort of, they have that sort of experience and they know they, they, they have a better idea. They don't have a perfect idea. They could definitely fuck this up, but they have a better idea. Like whether, maybe it's better to not be living it or something. But I think people also have a decent idea just of their own. Even though happiness is a subjective experience, I don't think that means it's not like, I still think it's a somewhat reliable sort of measure just to ask people how they are, how happy they are basically. And if, if people are continuing to like live and not kill themselves and most people don't, then most people like, I think are like calculating that life in some way, they they feel that life is worth it in in some spiritual way, regardless of the, the suffering and the and the and the and the non and the good stuff. Well, the people who are by default accepting their lives are worthwhile, essentially by not killing themselves every day. You know, I, I guess if you don't kill yourself, you're sort of acknowledging my life is worth continuing. Those yeah, people, huh? you go, you but go, that girl, <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that they view their lives as as good lives. They just there's a lot of there's a lot else that goes into the equation of should I not be alive anymore? There's just uh, there are other factors like how will this impact other people? Uh, it's probably really scary to actually end your own life like that. That's that sort of stuff is not fully disentangled from like you don't just press a button and you're and you vanish into thin air. If suicide was like that, it would be a lot different of a story. Yeah. yeah and the sure. other the uh, the other thing that Sam Harris and Benatar talk about is. The fear of non-existence, like, there's a little bit of a religious element to this, like, the fear of having no more consciousness, it's just kind of a, it's a natural human instinct to fear that, where, like, if someone told, like, all the, all your pursuits, all the things that you're striving towards, to just have them discontinued, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a very unsettling thing to hear. I think that's like a, another thing that has to be removed from the equation if you're saying, am I having a good life or not a good life, then... Like that, I think that component might scare people more than anything. It's all these things that I'm striving towards, all these things that I, I think I could be in the future, but I'm not there yet. And then you just never get the chance. I think that's the part that's the most unsettling. Yeah, true. But, but I don't think it should be removed from the equation. I think it's like a valid part of the equation. It's like a valid source of meaning. Just like, just like other people, your relationships with other people and being a good friend or family member or role model or something. I think that that all has like intrinsic value too. Right. That's why I don't think it should be removed from the equation either. So that's why I'm saying just because people are happy with their lives, it doesn't really translate to being alive and not being alive because 
your current status is different from mm-hmm. your expectation of what could be in your like there there are other reasons to there's there are reasons to continue to live even though your life is shit yeah you yeah, could objectively sure. say you can be like you can be pretty negative like a negative 0.5 or something but then <laughs> if it's just your own isolated happiness like sitting in alone in the bouncy gym but if you have all those other factors then it could bring you it makes it worth it like you're like a negative 0.1 then, and things are pretty okay. You're negative 0.5, but you think that a positive 0.5 will be attainable at some point, so you're you're holding out hope that things will get better and it's worth continuing because of that. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not saying that that's not true. I think that that is pretty relevant. So yeah, so yeah I guess it yeah, just, I, it puts a wrench in the equation of, by default, people who are not killing themselves are happy. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're, they're some, they're somehow, it's like a deeper word than happy. It's like they're, they're somehow satisfied. Well, see, that, that's, that's the holdup I'm having is they're somehow satisfied, but maybe they're wrong to be. Like, cause then we, well, we, we talked about it the last time we did a podcast where, um, Why would they be wrong to be? I'm, I'm not as sure. Like, I well, don't, but, but I thought we agreed that, that the other things are like, they're valid. Um, valid sources of, which things? of somewhat satisfaction. Which things are you talking about? Relationships and thinking and having future expectations and, uh, I don't know, starting a, a book and you want to finish the book. I'm saying they can be valid. I don't know that they necessarily just intrinsically are valid. They could be valid. Well, I think, I think they're valid if, if someone thinks they're valid. I don't think there's any other answer to it. Yeah. It's not like you're... It's not like someone's going to release a study and they discover that actually friends and family aren't important because they found like this like weird correlation or something. That's not possible. No, I agree with that. It is it is only a subjective argument. There is no objectivity here. I think I think we agree on that. Yeah. It, it's whatever you By feel way, essentially here. No, it it really does boil down to just what you feel is right and wrong. So I guess you could say that just the existence of suffering is enough to offset all the happiness. Like, I think you, that is a case that you could make because it's all subjective anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think suicide for sure, it should be, is an option to people and it's a valid option. I guess if, if suffering is bad enough, I mean, people shouldn't do that and they should be really fucking careful. But there are of course some situations. David Foster Wallace talks about how it's like being in a burning window in a burning building and, you don't want to jump out, but the the pain is too overwhelming. So the only way, really, you it's the only escape. So you don't really have you, in that moment. You don't really feel like you have a choice. Something yeah, like that. The example of that that Sam Harris gives in this episode is he says, if you found out that you were going to have to get your leg sawed off every day for the rest of your life, like somehow it, it just goes back after it gets sawed off. But you you had to get you, like yeah. half your leg sawed off every day for the rest of your life. That probably would be too unbearable. But then I guess you could also say, well, maybe I would try to find a way where that doesn't have to happen anymore. No, but in this situation, fine. <laughs> I'm, I signed up for this weird, this weird CrossFit uh, style cult. That this is what happens. But we could try that with iguanas because their tails heal. They're, so we can cut off iguanas' tails every day and see if one of them, they start shooting themselves. I also don't think they feel as much pain in their tails being cut off as we do in our <laughs> kneecaps being sliced open. Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm happy with Sam for making the example. Like legs are pretty far away from like my belly and my brain and my vital organs. He picked a good so limb. He could have picked. He could have picked a more gruesome example. I'm okay with like. I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean. I prefer not, definitely prefer not, but, but, uh, I'm glad he didn't go all the way and say something really gross and, and perverse. I, I didn't think about that when I was listening to it, but I agree with you for sure. What a nice, what a nice decision by him. Oh, I want to talk more about, um, so you were saying how Benatar's argument relies just on that asymmetry thing, but I'm, I read an article of his like about why you shouldn't have children basically because he makes two arguments, and it's a little—it's a little different than. I mean, it's—it's it's coming from the same source, so I think he has all the same assumptions. But he goes a little bit further. I, I think it'd be interesting to talk about. Okay. 
So basically, it's a philanthropic argument of why you shouldn't have kids. All the philanthropic arguments all criticize procreation on the grounds of what procreation does to the person who is brought into existence. So basically, that he's arguing that there's too much pain, there's too much suffering, you can get cancer, you can get diseases, the odds are stacked against you, you shouldn't have you shouldn't have kids because you're subjecting them to all this potential suffering. And he talks about like 50% of people have cancer. I mean, that doesn't mean life is bad, of course, but that, that's what he's saying, basically. That, uh, that the, the suffering outweighs the, the good, so you shouldn't have kids. And the second argument, which we can just dismiss right away, um, because it's not as interesting, and then we go back to the first one, is the misanthropic argument. It criticizes procreation on the grounds of the harm that the created person will likely do. Uh, it is presumptively wrong to create new beings that are likely to cause significant harm to others. And then he talks about how the average person kills uh, 27 animals a year and like 1,700 in their lifetime, which makes me want to be a vegan. But also, I'm not, I don't want to be dead because of that or not have a kid because of that. So we don't have to talk about that one. Yeah, he is concerned with environmental impacts like how we're treating other conscious beings like a lot of animals. I do think there's some validity there, but yeah, I don't think that's enough to say we shouldn't have kids because they're going to eat a lot of animals. And also, yeah. with scientific advances, I think it sort of gets in the way of both of those things because cancer may be less of an issue or a complete non-issue at some point in the future, and also factory farming will probably not exist at some point in the future. We, we can improve True. the quality of life. It's a lot better now than it was a thousand years ago. True. And that's not even getting to the point that most people with cancer wouldn't say they would rather not have been born. I think most of them would <laughs> well, for sure say that. That part I still have an issue with because there's all these negative things associated with not living that like fears of not continuing pursuits and all that sort of stuff. No, but if you live a good life for 60 years and you get cancer, that doesn't invalidate the, the last 60 years. So it's still, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it seems really weak to me. Well, I guess it's a different question to ask someone who's old and dying. Are you happy that you ever existed? Or are you happy that we're not killing you right now? Like to ask someone who is 80 years old and is going through a lot of suffering, are you happy with the things that happened in your life to this point? They'd probably say, yeah, all the stuff before I got sick was great. I wouldn't want to forfeit that. Those experiences were were everything that, that was everything that ever mattered to me. But it's a different question yeah. to ask them, should we just put you down now? Yeah, of course. But but the first question is the important one in deciding whether or not it was worth it to even give birth to them. Because, yeah, sure, they can get – death does serve a purpose. When you're 90 and sick, it might be better to be dead. But that doesn't say anything about the, the whole sum total of your life. And, and if, if you think that's worth it, I think that's the best way to, to say that, yes, it is in fact worth it if you actually thought life was worth it. But I think Benatar doesn't think life life's worth it. And he's a very private man. Because I think he doesn't want people to like see his life and see that he's like this mopey guy who just goes on his computer and drinks a lot of caffeine and does a lot of masturbation and doesn't have any friends and doesn't eat healthy food and doesn't play and he doesn't achieve any of his goals and he dies alone and he lives alone. They, they don't want to see they, – they want it to accept the argument on the validity of the argument. They don't want it to be biased by – the, the uh, persona of the researcher. So he's really a private person, but it does it does seem like like for me even if I lived a really miserable life, and there are times when I've I felt pretty stressed and miserable, then I then at those times I question more whether I should have kids because I wouldn't want to pass down that experience to someone else. But in the grand total, I, I think that life is for usually usually it's 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 good enough. So I think I probably would want to want to have kids, and but 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 if I really did think that life, my own life was really miserable and not worth it, then I that would that that to me would be a valid argument not to be a valid antinatalist argument in line with what Benatar is saying. But it's dependent on the individual's experience and what you think you're you're giving to okay. it, the next generation. Okay, so a couple things. Yeah, Benatar, I think, is private because he mentions that he's been accused of being this, like, depressed, mentally ill person for having the thoughts that he's had, and he doesn't want to be seen in any way to cloud what his research says. I think that's what you're getting at. Like, he gets letters all the time or comments all the time. 
like, oh, you're just a, your, your life sucks. Like, that's why you're saying all this stuff. <laughs> Sam Harris actually asked him that. He's like, um, do you think you have any mental blocks in your own head that have caused you to think this way? Sam Harris essentially asks him if he thinks that he's mentally ill and that's why he thinks all this stuff. Damn. So nice. I think that's nice. why he remains so private. He doesn't want that to be out there. Hard hitting question. Yeah, it was cool actually. Um, in the New Yorker article, they asked. He said people ask him if he has kids sometimes, and he doesn't answer because if he doesn't have kids, then he's consistent. If he does have kids, then fine. He's a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite, but he's wrong because his argument is still right. That's what he says. Basically, <laughs> if he does have kids, he's a hypocrite, but but that doesn't mean his argument's wrong because his argument's separate from him. Right. So he could actually say. Yeah, I think what you were talking about with children is relevant here. He could actually say existence is bad. It's inherently bad based on the asymmetries, based on suffering, exceeding happiness, all of that stuff, both parts of his argument. And then he could say, but I had kids anyway because I knew it would improve my own life and I'm just really selfish. Yeah, or because he had them anyway because he fucking forgot to wear a condom and that's the situation now. But but it... Or, yeah, I guess that would that one's kind of a cop out. Yours is more interesting. Um, yeah, he could have chosen to have them anyway because of selfishness, or because he doesn't even believe his own argument in some sense. But it wouldn't matter because, in some other sense, he still does believe his argument is separate from his personal life and and holds water. I yeah, I do think it's a fair logical leap. To say that someone who thinks the world is a bad place, it's just intrinsically bad and it's an evil place and no one should have to be subjected to it. I think it's a logical leap to say if someone thinks that and then has children anyway on purpose, it's a purely selfish act because there's certainly a lot of good that comes from having kids. You form these close human relationships and you get to, uh, I guess, extend your own ideas about the world to the next generation. You teach your kids however you want to teach them and then they impose that yeah. value on the world but it's more just the human relationship teach thing. Them that life is shitty <laughs> yeah uh benatar should have kids so that his philosophies carry on to the future about how no one should have kids that would be quite the paradox <laughs> <laughs> yeah but funny. do you think it can be viewed as really selfish to have children if you're negative about the world because that would seem like the only reason that you would still have them on purpose um possibly but but also it could be rational because genes are some genes are passed down but it's not like you you're a hundred percent like your parents it's it's much less than that it's much less than half so you wouldn't it's reasonable to think i might have kids just because the ch chances are perhaps i'm rich or something and i have some advantages that they didn't have um, and their life's going to be better than mine you, you could think that rationally for sure i mean you might not think that and it could be selfish but you could you could have good reasons for it Okay. Yeah, I think you could you could think either way on this. But I think yeah. most people when having kids, well, I don't know if I want to get into this, but I do think like anything that anyone does is selfish because I think there's a micro selfish and a macro selfish. Is this Yeah, I'll I'll just explain it briefly. So you're going to get into it. You're yeah, gonna I'm going to get into it and then maybe we can revert back if it's not that interesting. But yeah, I think there's a micro selfish and a macro selfish. The micro selfish is it's kind of what most people would perceive as selfish behavior, things that don't benefit others. They're, they're really only benefiting you in sense of finances or improvement of status or those sort of things. But then there's macro selfish where everything that you do is for yourself. If you're helping others, it's because you see value in helping others. If you, um, if you have kids, it's because you see value in, there being kids there. It's basically you're, you've applied values to certain things. And when you act them out, that's still, it's your own interest. It's just that your interests tend to align with good things. So a, a really good person can still be called selfish in this sense, because they just view everything that is, that most people view as really noble. That's just what you value. Your views just tend to align with good things, but that's still, you're still doing it for yourself. Yeah, but I agree in a sense, but, but I think one of those is, selfishness as selfishness is defined and one of those isn't selfishness at all because selfishness um here, i'll read the definition uh it's pronounced so um it's lacking consideration for other people so if you're doing 
those things for yourself, but they but they're also good for other people, then it doesn't really fit the definition of selfishness. It's some sort of other it's self-motivated, like self-actualizing, self-development motivated. It is self-motivated in some way, but that's not the same as selfish. Because selfish is a negative like connotation. It's a different. It's a different thing. It's more like the micro-selfish. Yeah, I think if we just call the standard version of selfish micro-selfish, and the one that I'm talking about macro-selfish, and then we have two different words for it, then we're no, then we're good. No, because it's not. It's it's a misleading term. It's a misleading term we, because you're not doing it. I mean, in some sense, you're doing it for yourself, but you're not lacking consideration for other people when you're doing it. You're very much considering that, and you're not con chiefly. It also is chiefly concerned with one's own profit or pleasure, and you're not actually concerned with that. You're concerned with some deeper sense of good. So it's like wanting to live in harmony or something, and wanting to do the right thing. That's more like ethical or or something it, virtuous. It's not selfish though. It, it's 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 a different word. But you can you can definitely say that people are nice to other people, be, like with their own internal expectation that they're going to achieve higher status because they're acting in what would be deemed an ethical way. Sometimes, but sometimes they're nice to other people for micro selfish reasons. To use your your dichotomy, <laughs> um, but but not every time. Yeah, I guess we just need two different words then. Yeah, I mean, there are different, there's definitely words that describe doing the right thing, basically, but not because of your own, your own selfish disregard for others, basically. So I think this um, dual functioning of words, I guess, is an adequate transition to other words in a different area that also have this confusion. Do you have time to do more things? Uh, I, I think I should stop soon, but... um. What, what uh, were, did you want to transition to the next topic? Because I don't think we should talk about the naturally following microbiome. I think it does naturally follow, but we can save it for next time. Yeah, let's save it. But but another interesting thing we can end on. Um, I'm going to send you this, and then you could read some of these. But uh, Rust Cole, uh, pretty much everyone's favorite character, or at least Sturmer's favorite character from uh, True Detective, he is based on. David Benatar. He's a nihilist. He's based on David Benatar. So we should read some Russ Cole quotes for sure. If you have quotes, and I know you like reading quotes, if, you, if you're if you planning on reading them now, I'll, I will sit and listen. I just sent you the link, so you can read one, I can read one, but I'll read them, because I feel like today my voice is really projecting well, and I sound, <laughs> I feel like Dan Carlin, basically. Yeah, um, no, I think you should read them all. I'll read, I'll read just, no, but now that I've stated it, I no longer have this power. Um, if the only thing keeping a person decent is the expectation of divine reward, then, brother, that person is a piece of shit. Uh, it's all one ghetto, man. Giant gutter in outer space. There is something deliciously melancholy and haunting about rusting roller coasters, faded fiberglass facades, Ferris wheels missing two or three cars, the gradual decay of something meant to be bright and cheerful. That is Russ on abandoned amusement parks. <laughs> uh, let me see which of these other ones is, is relevant. There is nothing about me. I exist only in the surface of what I create. I'm slowly losing my mind. I am form over function. I am a hollow space with a shiny exterior. I can only reflect what I'm shown. I am mortified to be human, and it upsets me greatly that one day I must die. That seems like a contradiction. <coughs> yeah, but I guess Benatar also doesn't like death, so... Yeah, they're just trying to, like, squeeze in some Benatar values into this quote that doesn't make any sense. It's like, all right, so Benatar doesn't like humanity, but he also doesn't want to die, so let's try to fit it all into one quote. It's, whatever, it doesn't need to work. Yeah, it seems kind of hard to pin a character to the writings of one author. But this one, I think, this last one, I think will fit into the stereotypical antinatalist, better to have never been born, Benatar. So... I think human consciousness is a tragic misstep in evolution. Definitely something Benatar might say. Absolutely. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self. An accretion, an accretion 
of sensory experience and feeling programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody when in fact everybody is nobody uh, I actually kind of like that one for our species to do is deny our programming what oh yeah just go back to the part where I interrupted you I was just saying I like this oh it's kind of nice and it's kind of morbidly comforting in a way or do you just like the quote did I go too far? No, no, I like all that stuff. <laughs> okay. Um, it's like the first time I discovered Benatar, and I couldn't stop reading the article because it was like, oh, interesting, interesting. What the fuck is wrong with this guy? Interesting. Um, Summed it up really curiosity. well. When in fact, everybody is nobody. Remember that part? Yeah. Great. Maybe the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming Stop reproducing. Wow, that is too on the nose. Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight. Brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. <laughs> that sounds really crazy, though. That, that would be a cool idea for a movie where everyone has just cumulatively decided we're not having kids and we're all going to just... We're all going to die together, and it's just going to be this one last – this generation is the last one, and we're, let's just like do the best with it we can. That sounds kind of fun. Yeah. It's sort of like children of men, but they decided not to have babies instead of not being able to have babies anymore. Yeah. Everyone just agrees. They, they just, there's, no, there's, no, like, there's no secret sect of society where some people are like, we're going to have kids over here. Fuck you. We're not doing it. No. Literally, everyone <laughs> just agrees. That, that's what I'm talking everyone's about. Just like, everyone's just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this is good. Wow, Benatar, <laughs> you're really, you're just right. We all agree. Seven billion people just yeah. agree. I'm really excited though about that quote because I, I didn't realize to the extent that this character was clearly based on Benatar until now. That was like very <laughs> on the nose. I hope that Sturm has listened this far because he'll be really excited about this also. Has listened? I mean, I don't think it's possible that he's listened at this point unless he's in the room with you somewhere. Or no, with he's me somewhere. Him listening, it, it's current for him whenever he's listening. Uh, okay, question for another day. Podcasts are like time travel. Yeah, for sure. I've heard them described like that uh, <laughs> now for the first time. <laughs> I just thought of it for the first time. So next time we will talk about those other fallacies for microbiome. We're going to just leave it at that. I think we should do, we should do that next time. Yeah, I did some reading research on that too. I'm excited to talk about that too. Okay, great. And oh, I just got a weird text. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it. This is good talk. We should we should end. Anything else? No, nope. I think uh, you know, just uh, you know, keep carrying that the torch. You know? Oh, you're gonna give a fucking keep message to up. the people. Keep to waking not. up every day and don't give a non-suicide uh, message to people. You don't know if that's the right disposition to have or not. You don't know. I'm okay with I'm okay <laughs> with giving it in a general sense. I, I think it, it, it is a, it's a safe message. People stay alive. Yeah, I, I find I find I agree with that also. <laughs>